Hey everyone, Alice here. I wanted to pop in before this week's episode of Pod Parts with some exciting news. We are extending the call for proposals for the World Urban Parks Congress 2023 until May 19th. This year's Congress is being held as a joint event with Parks and Leisure Australia and supported by Green Adelaide and will take place in Adelaide, Australia from October 22nd to 25th, 2023. We're inviting proposals for presentations, workshops, or panel discussions that relate to this year's conference theme, sustainable places, spaces, people, and habitats, making cities active, cooler, greener, wilder, and inclusive. You can find more in the link down on the episode notes, so don't forget to submit your abstract by May 19th. See you in Adelaide! Welcome to Pod Parks. A podcast for the park-minded, brought to you by World Urban Parks. In this podcast, we'll embark on a journey through the world of parks, from intimate community parks to sprawling urban national parks and everything in between. Join us as we explore the beauty and diversity of these urban oases. Meet the individuals and organizations working tirelessly to preserve and improve them. Our guide will be Alice Landin, Research Development Advisor for World Urban Parks. So come along as we rediscover the green spaces that make our cities livable. Welcome back to Pod Parks. I am thrilled to be here with you. Today we're going to take a critical look at not only parks, but cities as a whole and how they're designed or not for some of its most important residents, children. What would happen if you woke up one day and you were eight years old? Close your eyes and picture, picture waking up and having this terrible or, or great, I don't know, revelation and realizing that you still have to go to work. Picture yourself opening your front door. Where are you heading? Are you asking for a ride? Are you walking? How will you navigate your daily commute as an eight-year-old kid? Now, open your eyes. Then, uh, as a mom of three, uh, after I did my master's in urban planning, I really had another education in how our cities are really not designed uh, with children and caregivers in mind. And I think that was probably the most formidable education of navigating cities with uh, three young children in tow and uh, understanding the importance of really reimagining our streets and public spaces from the lens of uh, folks we haven't really thought of before. Children, their, their healthy development, and of course, uh, families and, and older adults. This is Amanda O'Rourke, Executive Director at 880 Cities, an organization working to create communities that are safe for 8- and 80-year-olds alike. Now, I can't say I've experienced the exact situation Amanda's describing, but I was a child not too long ago, and I grew up in a city that was not built for children, not built for people, really, but for cars. And for many years, I knew virtually no public spaces. Not the sidewalk that was across from the street from my school, not the intersection close to my house, 
because this urban design forced me to spend a large part of my childhood bored out of my mind sitting inside a car. I had to be driven everywhere. And not only did this limit where and when I could visit friends or go to the playground, but it also meant that I had to tag along for many unrelated car rides and errands. And then a couple of years later, we moved to a new city where me and my little brother could walk unaccompanied to school. And we, we could stop to look at trees and play at different intersections and small playgrounds along the way. And having that freedom and that safety had a huge impact on my life and my family dynamic moving forward. And this drastic change wasn't a coincidence. So there is this um, amazing quote by Gil Peñalosa that says that children are this kind of measurement species in cities. And when a child is able to walk outside and go by themselves to the park and go to school by themselves and basically have daily independence, that means that our cities are healthy and thriving and livable. This is Leticia Lozano, play specialist and founder of Masia Studio, which specializes in playful cities. And she's describing a concept that urban designers and local city planners have been grappling with for the past decades. So for the past century or so, we have been designing and building our cities essentially for young, healthy, able-bodied men. We heard plenty of evidence of this back when we discussed the history of parks. Go check those episodes out if you haven't. And we've seen it in our own cities, how urban spaces are built around a very specific daily commute to and from people's work. And every other errand and every other experience goes second. You know, I think any sort of women or a caregiver or children who experience public space and feel that where, you know, they're feeling like they're not really represented in the space, you can often feel, you know, when you're waiting at that bus stop, I always think of that with my kids when they were young in the stroller <laughs> and you're waiting at the bus stop and there's no shelter and the bus is like, you know, 30 minutes late and uh, you, you really think about, oh man, I'm really not at the forefront of these decisions. Yeah. My needs are not really taken into account. Or when you're at the uh, playground or park and there's no shade or there's no place to sit or there's no place to like grab a coffee or... Now, what Amanda mentions is a pretty universal experience for people living in modern cities. Many cities across the world are being actively designed around cars and around single long commutes. And when this happens, all of the other elements of the city come together as sort of an afterthought, resulting in small sidewalks, huge parking lots, and disconnected neighborhoods. But all of this can change. If instead of designing our city like everyone has a 9 to 5 job and is super fit, we started using our most vulnerable citizens as our design models. You know, pick out a citizen who maybe has limited motor skills, a lower capacity for decision making, and has a tendency for sudden movements, you know, like a kid. Designing a city for children means 
taking all of the precautions necessary to create a safe, calm, but engaging environment. Think about a child walking alone to school, or a toddler running an errand like they do in that one Netflix show. What difficulties would they encounter? When you think of a child um, going through a city, then um, they they face you know various barriers or difficulties. Um, so we need to make a city safe for them to, you know, walk around safely by themselves. So basically it means that we need to have a length of our sidewalks. We need to have a, um, you know, safe crossings. We need to have spaces to rest because a child won't walk as long as an adult. We need to have um, shade areas. And all of those help or aid the city experience of many others. Children are, by excellence, short, a little clumsy, and extremely curious. So designing a city for children means integrating design elements from the start that allow children to move freely within its boundaries. So we're not only talking about having plenty of playgrounds and public spaces for children to exist and interact in, but also redesigning roads, sidewalks, transportation systems to give them the freedom to move around openly in their neighborhood. Because if we do that, if we integrate an entire area so a child can, for example, visit their friend who lives a five minute walk away, they're more likely to go out and be social and gain a lot of motor and social skills. On the contrary, if this short five minute walk goes through, let's say, a massive highway without any sidewalks, the child is going to depend completely on an adult and that adult's schedule for even the shortest trips. And all of these short trips are essential for childhood development. Because during our first years, every experience that we have either f strengthens or weakens a neural connection. We are all born with the same amount of neural connections and depending on uh, the, you know, the birth lottery and the, the things that we are faced with and the experiences that we have, whether positive or negative, those neural connections strengthens or weakens and then that is the foundation of our person our personality that foundation if it's not strong enough then all of the other skills abilities or knowledge that we acquire during our adulthood then they are in you know there's like wobbly foundations as Leticia mentions, having diverse everyday experiences is necessary for building these cognitive bridges. They're all essentially learning experiences for children of all ages. So giving these children everyday freedoms and allowing them to move independently through their neighborhood can help children become better equipped for their adult lives. This independence also provides children with more opportunities to socialize and to play. And this is where we get to the next layer of child-friendly cities. When we start designing cities for children, we can't just stop at safety. 
we need to actively design and promote play. True play is that children create their personality. It is how they find their place in society, in the environment they are at, yeah. you know, in their school, at the park, in their families. And that's how we develop our personalities, our, our sense of individuals. Yeah. Play is an essential part of children's lives. It should be an essential part of adult life too, really, because it keeps us all active and happy. But it's a vital, vital tool for childhood development. If you're anything like me, I still play as an adult and it's really important for me as an outlet for stress and other things. And the way I play is changes with the seasons and what it is that I like to do. This is Jennifer DeMello, Senior Strategist of Organization, Innovation and Strategic Partnerships at Kaboom, a U.S.-based nonprofit working to end the playscape inequity. Um, but as a kid, it was a really important outlet for me. Um, and I think that there's several developmental benefits associated with play from a social standpoint, a mental standpoint, physical standpoint. Um, and I think it's imperative that all kids have access to that, that right. Um, and unfortunately for many, it play is seen as a luxury, but it's actually not. It's essential yeah. in the well-being of kids and their development into healthy adults. And if we think about it, 25% of our population are kids, but 100% of that population will be our adults. And if we're not investing in creating healthy adults, then we're not going to create a society that's conducive to our well-being. As Jen mentions, play has sadly become somewhat of a luxury in modern cities. Smaller homes, tighter budgets, and busy schedules are making indoor play less and less accessible. And if we combine that with a lack of access to quality parks, children today have very few opportunities to play. And this is a crisis, really, because when children play, they develop physical skills and build confidence. They feel happy and develop better mental health strategies. They connect with other children, developing better communication and language skills. They learn about empathy and learn to care for the things around them. But I also think about, you know, the inequities that exist in communities and oftentimes, you know, certain parts of our population don't have access to great places to play. Um, and making sure that all communities have access to that is really important, especially kids living in situations that are experiencing severe toxic stress, like in yeah. poverty. Um, and so making sure that we're thinking critically about what spaces are conducive to the well-being of kids. In the face of structural inequities, the public playscape can serve as a refuge for children who need it the most. I like to think about it as an equalizer even. For children to have wonderful play and social experiences, despite any differences that they may be facing at home. And this is why play opportunities have to be integrated into every part of a city design, not only into playgrounds. We love building play spaces and we think that they're very important, but the challenge associated with destination play spaces is oftentimes people can't access them. Yeah. Right? If you're a single caregiver with multiple jobs, when you have time off, you're not going to the playground with your kid, right? You're going to run errands, you're taking the bus to get to the bank and to the grocery store and to the barbershop. 
So the concept of embedding play in everyday spaces is about meeting kids where they're at so that we're designing like kids actually live in cities versus an afterthought and putting places for kids to play in pockets of our communities versus really thinking holistically around what the built environment might provide for our children, um, whether it's natural elements or artificial elements. Ideally, it's more nature than not, not um, but really thinking about how can we holistically think about the well-being of our kids and our communities and embedding play into everyday spaces. Embedding play into everyday spaces allows children to inhabit, enjoy, and even protect their cities. And to do this, cities have to focus on spaces that can maybe serve different purposes at once so that the entire family can enjoy them and that have considerations for different generations. So, you know, maybe an older adult can accompany their grandchildren on a play date. Embracing natural elements for play can also bring children more connected to nature, which is not only great for their health and their well-being, but it can teach them from an early age how to care for and promote their natural environment. And so integrating both safety elements and play opportunities for children also results in better considerations of the needs of women and older adults and people with disabilities. When we design cities from a play and childhood's perspective, we are actually integrating so many others, other perspectives into how we experience the city. Because again, play is for everyone. I think that we have lost that um, the understanding of the transformative power of play uh, and uh, we know how important, I mean the research is out there, yeah. but how it supports children's healthy social, emotional, um, speech, you know, all the development pieces, it's excellent for children. But guess what, it's also really great as we age. And so when we think about creating environments, uh, whether all the things that belong to us, all the public realm elements, how do we actually invite and entice play? That is the big question that um, we love to look at and love to think creatively about. All of the magnificent benefits that children receive from play are also great tools for older adults who might be struggling with their motor skills or for people with physical or cognitive disabilities that need accessible activities. And beyond these, these tangible physical benefits, Creating spaces and moments for play leads to little pockets of joy, you know? It leads to people feeling happier as they experience a public space, which then translates again to healthier citizens, healthier neighborhoods, and healthier cities. Now, the COVID pandemic was a stark wake-up call in the field of play. Many cities locked down either partially or completely, and they closed off parks, businesses, malls, you name it, for weeks or even months on end. And this got the whole world rethinking not only our relationship to work and to commuting and to our homes, but also to how we relate to the outdoors and to play. And of course, our favorite play specialists took it on as their own personal challenge. You know, when COVID started, somebody from a magazine reached out to me and said, like, what is the future of play going to look like? What are we going to do? And 
you know, I can't tell the future, but I could only look at the past. And, and what I, I started thinking about was like, how do we provide places for kids to play like when they're isolated inside, yeah. right? Um, or how do we then think about the outside as the sanctuary that we all need? So immediately I was creating obstacle courses out of chalk in my community um, on, my, on my sidewalk just to provide a, a place for kids to play and we started to see scavenger hunts emerge in windows and different Ooh. ways that people were inventing new ways for kids to play, right? Um, and so I think that it expanded our ability to really think creatively about how we can provide play solutions for kids. Unfortunately, you know, we were limited to the spaces that we could actually frequent. Mm -hmm. Playgrounds were closed, you know, and I think that that shed light on how important they were. And so the outdoors became a sanctuary for those stuck inside their homes. And as soon as parks opened up, the number of people visiting them skyrocketed. The pandemic underscored the importance of having access to healthy green spaces, to safe playing areas, to maybe unconventional meeting grounds. But our lockdowns also shed light on the deep, deep inequities and in access to green, healthy public space. Many people did not have access to quality parks and other outdoor spaces near their homes. And it forced us to recognize not only that disparity, the, the difference in people's access to parks, but also the urgent need to think differently about creating these opportunities, about creating access to public space. Because again, parks are fantastic, but not having a big park near your house should not be an impediment to having playful experiences outdoors. That is precisely why play specialists advocate not only for playgrounds, but for playful sidewalks and pocket parks and building fronts and crosswalks. After a pandemic, if we haven't learned that we need to enjoy life and create environments to enjoy our life and not just, you know, be working bees, then if we didn't learn that, then we, we didn't go through that Oof. pandemic. So with all of this information, what can we do? How can we create cities for children and cities for play? Question. I think the first step is uh, like talking to kids and older adults. Have a conversation, understand their needs. And I think that that's the best starting point is actually not just designing for children and older adults. It's about designing with children and older adults and folks who have been very much underrepresented and underserved in uh, our urban planning approaches. So that means really having meaningful and authentic conversations and engagement with the folks that you're designing for and with. Talking to people of all ages and all backgrounds, to the people who actually experience a public space about their needs and desires can allow us to create experiences and places that are actually relevant to them and that meet their needs and their desires. You know, having those those folks at the table uh, and understanding their needs, these experiences are really what uh, help us understand how to create spaces that really welcome everyone and create safety and comfort uh, for people of all ages. And this conversation shouldn't stay in the design phase, but also in how these public spaces are managed. To invite people to inhabit their public space and to partake in these playful experiences. I asked Leticia what a utopian city for children would look like. You know, what we're 
tangibly aspiring to create when we talk about playful cities? Um, no, I think so. A child friendly and playful city is a city where we have a series of moments. So we don't have only destinations. We have moments throughout the city where we can pause and play and relax okay. and just enjoy five minutes of like, you know, forget about all of the stress and just yeah. those um, nudges in the city that help us realize that it's okay to play because, you know, children they are they are not ashamed of playing around or playing in the city but adults we have forgotten how to play as i said how to pause but if we have something to nudge us you know if we put like um like a playful sculpture or something on a on a wall or something that gives us the permission to be silly yeah and playful and if you find others there that are you know the whatever intervention gets their attention and then they, they play with you then it's like okay yes we're being mischievous together <laughs> it's fine adults we need that kind of community allowance yeah. to be playful and be silly in public space usually you don't you don't see one person being silly But if you see maybe a couple or two friends or a group of three friends, then they allow themselves to be silly. And that's what we want to achieve. And so if you're listening to this while driving home from work or while getting ready in the morning or while taking a walk in the park, remember that one of the very, very first steps to creating this utopia is to embrace play. Yeah, well, play is a fundamental human need. I mean, we are wired to play. And I think we've really trivialized play um, beyond sort of maybe uh, children's needs. And, and we should be playing throughout our whole lifespan. Yeah. This is fundamental to our health and, and well-being. And, uh, you know, Einstein said play is the highest form of research. And I totally believe that. As you said, I think the first the first step is to remember how to play, to remember that we need to enjoy life, to remember that it is good to laugh every day and just, you know, spend some time with our friends, with our family, in the grass, on the grass, under a tree, you know seeing the the seeing the seasons change we need to remember that we were curious one time and once we get that then we want to create that same experience for others so let's go out and play <laughs> This marks the end of today's episode. Keep up with next week's episode for some exciting news about the world of parks. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review to help reach more park enthusiasts from around the world. And if you want to connect with like-minded individuals and you don't necessarily know where to start, visit worldurbanparks.org. We are slowly building a community of diverse park professionals that are eager to connect and join forces in promoting the world of parks. 
So how are you going to be playful? Please, please, please just go out today and rediscover the world of play. Thank you for listening to Pod Parks by World Urban Parks. Pod Parks is written and hosted by Alice Landin, produced by Vitoria Martin and Luis Roman, sound engineering by Vladimir Yanez. Don't forget to visit worldurbanparks.org and explore the resources our online community has for you. Get out, explore, connect. <laughs>